0: Last Sunday, Luke here preached uh, the ascension of Jesus from earth to heaven, and he gave a great illustration that Jesus' ascension was his coronation day, that is, the day that everyone recognized his kingship. Uh, We all currently have somewhat of an idea of what a coronation ceremony looks like when King Charles recently was crowned in the UK. The fact is, Charles became the king the moment his mother, Elizabeth, died. But it was months later until he received his final coronation. In my study of Acts 2 on this Pentecost Sunday, as we look at this great passage when the Holy Spirit came to dwell upon and with believers, I came across another story from the UK about a coronation. Sinclair Ferguson, a great Scottish preacher and seminary professor, tells the story of his childhood growing up in Scotland, When he was four years old, when Queen Elizabeth's father died, and she became queen in 1953. However, what Ferguson remembers about that coronation was not so much about her becoming queen, but rather it was the reality that all the citizens of the kingdom exchanged gifts with each other. As a child, he was given a silver cup filled with candy that he could remember for the rest of his life, this is because your king has come. And again, recently with Charles, it was common for gifts to be exchanged by the citizens in celebration of a new king, all in hopes of a prosperous and successful kingdom. It's a beautiful thing to associate a gift with a king. Let me say that again. It's a beautiful thing to associate the giving of a gift with a newly crowned king. What we're going to see in our passage today is that when God the Father raised Jesus to life, and Jesus walked out of that tomb, at that very moment, he was recognized as the king of kings and the one with total authority all over the heavens and the earth, without question. And 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, and then 10 days after that, God gave his people a gift. And as our king, he provided the gift of This Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is not a gift that we give to each other, but it is what our Heavenly Father has given to us as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. So let me just ask this morning. Did you know that? Did you know that you are such a special person when you put your faith in Christ that you were given a gift? You need to see this morning that special people receive special gifts. And in reality, we are God's followers in Christ, and he has given us this Holy Spirit. So from our passage this morning, I want to highlight two things quickly regarding this gift of the Spirit. First, I want you to notice the nature of our gift. And secondly, I want us to consider the purpose of the gift. So the nature and the purpose, and I pray that God would richly bless us today as we consider the Holy Spirit's work in our life. All right, first, the nature of the gift. And what I mean by that is this. What kind of gift did God give to us? What is he like? What was God's heart? What was his agenda in giving this gift? We have all received various gifts at different occasions, from Christmas, to birthdays, to anniversaries, to Mother's Day, etc. But notice in Acts Chapter 2, verse 2, notice what was going on inside of that room that occurred where they recognized the uniqueness of the gift they were given. In verse 2, we we see two symbols mentioned here. Verse 2, we see a sound like a mighty wind. And then in verse 3, tongues of fire on them. Two symbols that reveal the nature of the gift, wind and fire. If we want to understand what kind of gift God has given to us, we have to wrap our mind around the idea of what the Bible has to say regarding wind and fire, because it's hugely significant. First, consider wind. What does the blowing of the wind signify in Scripture? And what we see when we do a study of all the Bible is that it's often a parallel of the movement of God's Spirit. This term wind is often translated as breathe. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when God created mankind, it says that he breathed life into Adam. That is, life is the result of the blowing of the Spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, the Spirit of God is compared to the wind blowing wherever it will. And wherever the wind blows, new life is formed. So what happened to these people when they were in this upper room, when they encountered this blowing wind? What occurred to them? They were filled with God's life. The life of God was breathed into them. They were already Christians in the sense that they believed and trusted upon Jesus. But God's gift to them and to us is that the very life of God is now poured into us. But note the significance of the wind. It was both mighty and rushing. You see, this was no small wind. This was a powerful wind that nothing could stop. That is, there was nothing that could stop God from pouring his life into yours into mine. You know, we don't have to struggle around here over the last few months to recognize the result of a powerful windstorm. If you have been around central Kentucky the last few months, you have an idea of what takes place when wind blows your trees down, Casey. Uh, Providentially, uh, last year for Christmas, as a gift, I wanted a new chainsaw. Uh, That's what I wanted. I wanted to cut my own firewood. I now drive this little pickup truck, and I just thought it would be fun if I had a chainsaw. So Lisa gave me a big, bright, orange Husqvarna chainsaw for Christmas last year. So I had a chainsaw, I had a truck, and I remember thinking on Christmas Day, I just need to find some trees that'll fall. Well, it didn't take long until half the people in this church and the church parking lot had trees down. I have plenty of firewood now. That's not the point. Here's the point. Nothing can stop a powerful wind. Friend, your gift from God means this. There is nothing that will stop him from pouring his love into your life. The nature of the Holy Spirit, the nature of the gift that we have, is that he powerfully comes to us. And there is no stopping him. When he sets his affection upon us, he loves us. That's when. But what about fire? Look back at verse 3. What on earth does tongues of fire on them mean? This is a strange passage. What did their eyes see at that moment in the room? Notice Luke, the writer of Acts here, described the scene. Not literally, he said, rather, it appeared as fire. Thus, when the Spirit came and appeared, it was so powerful, he was so powerful, that fire was what they sensed the Spirit was most compared. And this fire was connected to a tongue, meaning it was related in some capacity to speech. There's a component of this gift that brings to mind the picture of God breathing fire. Again, a picture of power. But what does fire signify throughout the Bible? It may not be what you imagine. But rather, we see that fire and speech often are connected in Scripture. You can look in Genesis 15 and see where God's covenantal love is revealed in a, quote, smoking fire pot. Or rather, you could look at Moses' encounter with the burning bush in which God spoke to him. In all of these, the biblical use of the image of fire communicates important elements of God's character. Think about this. Fire brings light into darkness. Isn't that what Jesus does? Fire brings warmth into coldness. Isn't that what we need? Fire brings purity into filth. And aren't we glad? Fire refines what is dull in order to make us sharp and purified. Fire eliminates that which needs to be removed so that we are made holy. Here's what happened to those people when the gift of the Holy Spirit came upon them God's life came powerfully upon them so that they could both see the kingdom of God and know of God's holiness. They were filled with the presence of God in such a way that out of their mouths were the words which now matched the heart of God. That's how connected to the presence of God they were. In that moment, they experienced God's power, his love, his promises, his purity, his holiness. The very presence of God came upon them. And it was unmistakable, and it was not comparable to anything else. And friends, this is our gift today. You know a good gift brings out all of our emotions. A bad gift, we can kind of be indifferent about. But a good gift really does affect us in some fun ways. Uh, We are now in the graduation season. Uh, If you're here and you have recently graduated, congratulations to you all. I hope you get some really good gifts. I thought about some of the gifts you might get a gift card that's always kind of a safe bet you can enjoy that cash everybody likes cash a good book might work depending on who you're giving it to but what about this what if you received a monogram gift that took a lot of time to prepare you know what that communicates you know what that means It means that someone went out of their way to ensure that this gift was for you and no one else. It would communicate that you are special because special people receive special gifts. Folks, with the Holy Spirit, God reveals his life by breathing into us individually his promises He breathes his life into us so that we actually have his presence. His power is alive inside of you. The nature of God's gift is that his commitment to us in Christ is so powerful that nothing can prevent him from giving his gift to us. So let me ask you, is that the gift you want, the presence of God? Because if it is, he has promised to give it. Okay. We've seen the nature of the gift. Now let's secondly consider, what do we do with this gift? What is the purpose of the gift? Look down at verses 37. And this is going to be very application-oriented. But I want to highlight three things here uh, which I observe took place in these people's lives. And I would suggest also takes place in our lives today when God pours his Holy Spirit into our lives. Number one, because of the Holy Spirit, we are now aware of our sin and we turn from it. Notice, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they heard Peter's sermon connecting the Old Testament to the finished work of Jesus, upon hearing this truth from God's word, they were, quote, cut to the heart. And what did they want to do then? They wanted to repent And they were told to go to Jesus for the forgiveness of the sin, their sin, where they would find it. When God's spirit comes upon someone today, by the very definition of his name, holiness is produced. The perfect, holy nature of God is revealed in our lives, resulting in the exposure of our personal sin. There's no other description here. There's no other reality. Being filled with the Spirit means that you do not want to sin anymore. You do not want to enjoy that which God opposes. God's Spirit changes our hearts so that we seek Him and His kingdom and His righteousness, which positions us at odds with the normalcy of the world that which lives inside of our hearts is conflicted with all that is opposed to God's law. And his gift declares to us and to every one of us this morning who is a Christian that we can trust that Jesus can take our sin. So thus, if you are convicted of your sin this morning, be glad. It's God's gift to you. And you are now free to admit that, to confess that, to repent that, And celebrate that Jesus has taken it away. Folks, let's don't hold on to our sin. Let's don't camouflage our sin. Let's expose it and repent and turn. And in a moment we'll come to this table and and be renewed in the grace that is ours in Christ. Number two, we've seen our sin, but now notice what happened in their life in verse 39. When the Holy Spirit comes, we are now aware of his promise... And we are comforted. I love this picture. Notice this promise that your sins are forgiven. You now have the Spirit, and this gift extends to your children, even to those who are far off. Those who trust in Christ will receive this promise, and it is a gift. But don't miss this point who is the giver of the gift? You see, this morning, it is God who wants you to have the gift. This is his idea. This is his initiative. This is his desire. He wants you to have his presence. You see, he is not hiding. The comfort that we are to receive is that he makes a promise, and our hope is in him to fulfill the promise. You see, your comfort this morning comes in the reality that his love is so strong, his ability is so strong, he will keep his promise to you. Be relieved this morning that your sin does not stop the power of his promise. His voice to communicate his breath into your life cuts through anything. Just like a tree in a windstorm. It's his promise to you. It is not his suggestion. It's not his consideration. It's rather that we are people of a promise. So how does this comfort affect your soul today? It means this. God made you a promise, and it is not to be earned. It is not a diploma that you had to work for. This is not a merit-based system. It's rather God gives you a promise, and he will keep it. He wants you to have his presence out of his mere kindness and grace. So therefore, you can be confident that he will give it. All right, we have seen the sin. We've seen the promise. But number three. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are aware of Jesus and we talk about him. This is amazing. I'm sorry, but this is why I read this whole long passage. Acts 2 is about the Holy Spirit coming down and filling the lives of God's people. That's what it's about. It's about the third person of the Trinity, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and even Jesus' words to send a comforter. All of that is, of course, true. But did you notice who is talked about when someone is filled with the Spirit? We have one example here. It's Peter. And he stands up, filled with God's Spirit. And who does he speak of? He tells everyone who will listen about the person and the kingship of Jesus. Do not miss this theologically. The Spirit doesn't talk about the Spirit. The Spirit talks about Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points people to the king. Peter mentioned King David in his sermon. All of his Jewish audience would have understood about Israel's great king. But what does the Spirit lead Peter to say about David? He says he's dead. But what does he say about Jesus? He says he's alive. Most of Acts 2 is actually about Jesus. Jesus. On Pentecost Sunday, we talk about Jesus because the Spirit's always leading us to our King. See this morning, the gift that he has given to us includes that you now have the incredible honor to be the spokesperson of our King, of our High King. This is our honor. In your home, with your children, with your family, at your work, in your small groups, in your clubs, in your hobbies. We talk about the reality that Jesus is owner of everything, that we belong to him, that we are his mouthpiece. Our gift causes our mouths to speak about Jesus, not a religion, but a person. We speak about his body, the church. We speak about his word, the Bible. We speak about his authority. We speak about his grace to sinners. We speak about his ongoing love for us. We speak about the fact that he is praying for us now. We speak about his life. We speak about his death, his mercy, his willingness to save. And we could go on and on and on. We talk about him. So do you want to experience the power of God's spirit inside of you? Then enjoy speaking of our king and all that we know of him. Our tongues are part of this story. His gift enables us to give an account of him and his perfection. Bill Bright was an American businessman in the mid-20th century. He grew up on a farm in Oklahoma, and his business interests took him to California in the 1940s. When he was in California, he opened a candy business and other enterprises in which he was trying to make a living. Bright was deeply influenced, though, at the ministry of a church called Hollywood Presbyterian in Los Angeles. It was here that he developed a vision for sharing his faith in Christ with college students on the campus at UCLA. It was 1951. And he began the ministry of what turned into later to be called Campus Crusade for Christ. Or now, simply called Crew. As he talked to students about Jesus, he realized it was actually the work of the Spirit that would communicate the message of the gospel. It was actually the work of the Spirit who could open the eyes of those who could not see, to actually believe. And Dr. Bright said that his ministry turned into embracing The filling of the Spirit so that Jesus could be proclaimed accurately. He said that being filled with the Spirit was simply a combination of a few things. It was one, a desire. And number two, it was a surrender. Jesus, take my life. And number three, it was an ongoing lifestyle of confessing sin. A desire for God, a surrender to God, and a confession of sin. All the ingredients of someone who is filled with the spirit of God. TCPC, may we be a church filled with God's spirit and his gift to us. So that when we do, we will hate our sin. We will live in confidence of his promises. And we will speak of the greatness of the one who died for us. Amen. Now. Let's come and feast with him who suffered so that we could have this promise, this spirit. Let me pray, and I will transition us into the Lord's Prayer. Father, we do thank you that your promises are real, your love for us is true, and oh God, your Holy Spirit is with us, and because of that, we celebrate you, oh Jesus, our Savior our great high priest, the one who is praying for us now. Oh, God, as we turn to this table, would you remind our hearts of these great promises? And now we pray, Father, as as your son taught us to pray, and we, we ask that we would pray being filled with your spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done